Thank you for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Ray Moynihan here at the Preventing Overdiagnosis Conference in Copenhagen. Ray is a researcher, author, and award-winning health journalist who did his PhD on overdiagnosis. He is also the host of a very popular podcast called The Recommended Dose that promotes a more questioning approach to healthcare. Ray, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Daniel. Why do we need a more questioning approach to healthcare? Why should we embrace healthy skepticism? Well, I think that the evidence suggests that often we're doing too much. We're doing too much testing. We're taking too many medications. We have too much treatment. We have too many diagnoses. And all of those things are incredibly valuable. In modern medicine, healthcare services, healthcare systems are providing an extraordinary level of care, enhancing our lives, extending our lives, making us healthier, making us happier. But Few people will now question this this basic concept that we have too much of a good thing. And so really in order to protect yourself and your loved ones from unnecessary care, unnecessary testing, unnecessary treatment, unnecessary diagnoses, one needs to be much more questioning. I mean, we all do you know, the, the experts in this field, experts in overuse and overdiagnosis, all have stories about how their own families are constantly being exposed to unnecessary testing or unnecessary treatment um, and how hard it is to, 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 to sort of help. I mean, we, we, we had Rita Redberg, the editor-in-chief of JAMA Internal Medicine on the Recommended Dose podcast, and she told an extraordinary story about finding it really difficult to protect her own mother, who was in her 90s, from unnecessary care that could likely have caused harm to her mother. Now, I, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's time for a whole cultural shift towards a much, much more questioning approach. And I think that's coming. I think we're seeing evidence of it, but I think we've got a long way to go. In your book, Selling Sickness, you argued that modern medicine has undermined the capacity of individuals and societies to cope with death, pain, suffering, and sickness. And you said that the pharma industry has extended the boundaries of treatable disease to expand their markets for new products. Is big pharma solely to blame for all of this? Certainly not. No, no. Pharmaceutical companies are key players in the healthcare space, but the pharmaceutical industry is just one player. It got a lot of attention in the book that I wrote with Alan Cassells, Selling Sickness, which I can say very uh, happily was translated into 12 languages and, uh, you know, is, is something we're very proud of. But, but the, the substantive issue here is the role of the pharmaceutical industry. Very important, very powerful. Um, but it's not the only player. It's not the only driver of unnecessary diagnoses of, of this, this idea of expanding disease definitions that expand so broadly, uh, that, that they are catching too many healthy people in the net. I think if we're talking about the pharmaceutical companies, one of the biggest challenges that modern medicine faces is trying to disentangle itself 
from uh, the pharmaceutical industry's marketing strategies. And, and what I mean by that is that many, many, many doctors' organisations, other healthcare organisations are terribly entangled with pharma. Their conferences rely on pharmaceutical advertising. Their journals rely on av- pharmaceutical advertising. Uh, individual doctors are gaining much of their so-called medical education at industry-funded events. We will look back on this time as some kind of medical dark ages. It, it's, it's, it's just absurd. It's inappropriate. It's wrong. It's dangerous. It's harmful for industries that are selling products as they have every right to do to be so engaged in influence peddling with the health professionals. And I think you, uh, you see again, people like, uh, Dr. Fiona Godley, the editor-in-chief of the British Medical Journal, who made a very uh, clear call in the podcast that we did with her recently on the recommended dose to really try and end a lot of that inappropriate entanglement and, and end that inappropriate influence. I mean, she, she was saying that she thinks it's time that we change the way medicines were evaluated that industry should no longer sponsor the studies of their own products. And that would require a major change in the way we regulate medicines, a major change in the way we regulate devices, um, which would have profound effects. But arguably what you would end up with in that case is much more reliable evidence about whether things work or, or things don't work. And that interview with Fiona Godley, for anyone who hasn't heard it, is... I mean, I, I don't want to be a salesperson here or a promoter, but it's, it's highly recommended. She's, she, it's a very intimate conversation. She talks about her life, her family going back a long time. She has a very interesting family. She talks about her contemporary life and being Fiona Godley, being the editor of one of the most powerful and influential journals in the world. So that was a, that was a great interview. A lot of people have heard it already, but you know, it's the sort of thing I think a lot of students would like healthcare students, health science students, medical students, not to mention your, your mum or your grandma or your sister or your brother or your, your father. You mentioned that one of the drivers of too much medicine is expanding disease definitions. And we've heard here at the conference about how we've been expanding these definitions to include pre-diseases like pre-diabetes or pre-hypertension. But I'm aware that you discovered a pretty important disease yourself a number of years ago and was hoping you could share your discovery with our listeners today well i mean this is a very personal thing to talk about daniel and we probably should give the audience a warning that these are issues very close to my heart we're talking about motivational deficiency disorder i guess and this was a disease that was discovered by a group of australian researchers clinicians scientists including myself, but big team. And uh, yes, I mean, all my life people have called me lazy, but now we know I was sick and I was suffering from motivational deficiency disorder. We launched that new disease in British Medical Journal on April 1st, 2006. Seems like a lifetime ago because very soon after that, there was a great breakthrough and a new drug uh, in Dolabant was uh, was was tested rigorously tested in, in a number of trials, and uh, the the results with that drug are just phenomenal. 
that's why I'm here talking to you today, talking to your listeners, and I'm very happy to be uh, a survivor of motivational deficiency disorder. If people are interested in more information about this, I guess they could uh, look at that short promotional video, disease awareness uh, video that you could find on the internet. I think it's called The New Epidemic, and uh, you'll get all the facts and figures there. All joking and sarcasm aside, what do you see are the problems with creating new diagnoses to then treat patients or creating labels that are being thrown around? An author called Lynn Payer wrote a book called Disease Mongers in about 1992, and she was drawing on a, a very long history in medicine that expresses a concern about doing more harm than good. And a lot of us have a sense that you know, that drugs or therapies or surgery might do more harm than good. But until people like Lynn Payer started, started writing and others started writing and talking, I don't know if we had such an awareness that diagnostic labels could do more harm than good. And I think what, what Lynn Payer wrote in that book, Disease Mongers, was that being told you are sick, being told you're at risk, being told you, you suffer from a silent killer called high blood pressure or a silent killer called osteoporosis um, when in fact you're, you're perfectly healthy but simply at risk of some kind of future illness in the in the distant future it can corrode your sense of well-being it can corrode your confidence as a human being it can change the way you think about your own life giving someone a label whether it's osteoporosis or hypertension or high cholesterol or prediabetes, does, will, can have profound effects on your life story and change the way you are forever. Giving a child the label of ADHD can, as my colleague Ray Thomas has said, can change, and others, it can change the life narrative of that child forever. Now, of course, I'm not saying that disease labels aren't valuable. They're extremely valuable. But I don't think there's any question that we've been giving them out like lollies in recent decades because there's a massive amount of money to be made telling healthy people they're sick and then offering them treatments. And I think that's what selling sickness is about. That is, is, is one of the things that all the work on overdiagnosis is about. It's about trying to say, let's be much more careful before we decide to define, to label, to diagnose people. And let's ensure that uh, if we're changing a disease definition, if we're creating prediabetes, that there is very solid evidence that labeling millions and millions and millions more people is going to actually help them. Now, for some of those newly labeled, there may well be benefits, but for others, there'll be harms. And there's there's much evidence about this. There, there is uh, presented at conferences like Preventing Overdiagnosis, um, like the Too Much Medicine conference that that happened uh, recently in Helsinki in in Finland. There is an evidence-based journals like JAMA Internal Medicine, like uh, the BMJ, uh, and, and and others. I'm I'm sure the BJSM as well. More and more producing evidence, producing scientific studies that are investigating the harms of too much. And uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's something very interesting happening here. And, uh, you know, I think, there's, I think there's some hope here.
Where do you think we can draw the line? How do we decide or how can we decide how much is too much medicine? Yes, Daniel, that, that's, that's the big question. And I, I remember, I, I remember giving a, a talk when I, uh, launched a book. Uh, my last book actually was called Sex Lies and Pharmaceuticals. And it was about the creation of a new disease called, uh, you know, a, the, the genuine attempt to create a new disease called female sexual dysfunction, which was essentially an attempt by the pharmaceutical companies and, and, a, and a whole bunch of, of, of researchers to you know relabel common sexual problems as if they were the signs and symptoms of a condition or a syndrome or a dysfunction for which there may well be drug treatment and and i remember talking about that at, a, at a, one of the book launches and a, and a young child came up with her mum and she asked a very similar question she said how do you know when what a doctor tells you or recommends for you is right and how do you know when it's wrong and I mean, I was speechless with her insight and her wisdom and unable to answer the question. These, these are very, very difficult questions. Where can we go for reliable evidence? How do we know who to trust? Where do you draw the line? Uh, what is inappropriate care? What is not? Now, it, it sounds like a simple answer, but you, I guess, all I can say is we, we've got to look to the evidence that we have. And there is growing evidence that using certain diagnostic tests when we have common low back pain is not appropriate and may do more harm than good. You know, there's growing evidence that if we diagnose and treat these tiny, tiny thyroid tumors, we are doing a lot more harm than good. Because if you, if you treat a thyroid tumor with surgery, you may end up with lifelong medication. And we know from the, from the data, from the evidence that many of those uh, operations on very small, highly likely benign thyroid tumors, we know that we're doing more harm than good. And there is good evidence now in the New England Journal of Medicine and, and, and in many other places. And of course, when you start to systematically review that evidence and put it together, you end up with uh, things like Cochrane reviews produced by the Cochrane Collaboration. Cochrane Australia, of course, fund the podcast, the recommended dose that we've discussed. And those reviews are available and they have consumer summaries available, often free in many countries. And so, it, you know, this sounds complicated and difficult, but, but I think whenever I, for example, am facing a tough decision about whether or not to have some procedure, take some drug long term, or whether when one of my loved ones is, whether it's my dad or my partner or my kid, I end up going as quickly as I can to the evidence and looking at it and, and weighing it up and trying to weigh up the risks and benefits. And that's not easy because as many of your listeners might already know, the more rigorously you evaluate something, the more rigorously you summarize all the evidence about a particular drug or a procedure or a test, the more uncertainty there is about how well it's going to work. So I think this is one of the things that comes up time and time again when you talk to the sort of big thinkers in healthcare, as we do in the podcast, The Recommended Dose, we're unfortunately going to have to live with a lot more uncertainty 
about how well things work in medicine. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's you know it's very clear. Uh, for this, you know, for this problem, we have this surgery, and that most of the time that's really going to help, and it's going to improve your quality of life. But but it's rarely that clear cut, and so learning to live with that uncertainty, learning to find, learning to seek out that reliable evidence. I really think it's something that we are going to start seeing taught in schools. I mean, already you've got people like Andy Oxman in Norway and others. And in fact, Ian Chalmers, <laughs> the guy who helped create the Cochrane collaboration 25 years ago, talks uh, in a recent interview, a conversation on the recommend dose about how he was involved in that study that Andy and, and others led in Africa, in Uganda with school children. An extraordinary study where a fairly simple intervention was used in schools in Uganda teaching kids how to detect bullshit. I mean, essentially that's what was, you know, in, in bullshit in terms of claims about what works and what doesn't in healthcare. And that series of interventions that they tested, according to their results, was pretty effective. They published it in The Lancet in the, in the last couple of years. And I think that approach of trying to instill that approach of trying to instill a healthy skepticism at a young age, a healthy skepticism about healthcare, that may well be uh, one of the best ways forward here. So that while we can continue to to trust, because we, you know, trust is so central to the sort of healing interactions, if you will, between people and their healthcare professionals. While we want that trust to continue, I think that that trust. I think there's a lot of question marks around that trust at the moment for a whole range of reasons, including the closeness between pharma and, 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 and the health professions and so on. But I think, but I think that healthy skepticism, if we can instill that, if we can engender that, if we can work with that and live with that, live with the uncertainty, then I think we have a chance of, of sort of perhaps rebuilding trust, continuing to have that trust. And, and the old days of, of, of sort of certainty and paternalism hopefully uh, will, be, will become a thing of the distant past. Ray, before we let you go, could you leave our listeners with some simple takeaways from all of your work and what we've learned at the conference here and at the Too Much Medicine conference in Helsinki? What can clinicians do to improve their practice and practice, I guess, just the right amount of medicine? Well, whatever they're doing, whether they're physiotherapists, whether they're doctors, whether they're specialists, whether they're nurses, whether whether you're not even connected with the healthcare sector, I think it's being aware as much as possible about the growing evidence of overuse, of overdiagnosis, of too many tests, too many treatments. To be honest, it'd be hard not to be aware of that now. You you have this this thing called choosing wisely running in almost 20 countries around the world, I think. And I think that's about asking questions, asking more questions. So I think trying to, to upskill about, you know, what is the evidence for overuse in your particular area? If you're into back pain, well, you know, there's guidelines coming out now, very, very reputable guidelines suggesting the need to wind back in certain areas, you know, wind back testing and so on. So I think... I think it's about upskilling yourself with the evidence. It's it's about having humility and not hubris. It's about really trying to kind of get to to, to, to you know to to reinforce a more humane approach to medicine. It's about celebrating 
you know, this idea that sometimes it's better to say, don't just do something, stand there. In my mind, when I walk into a doctor's surgery or, or, you know, a physio clinic or whatever, I'm not a patient. I'm a person. And I want to be treated like a person. I don't want to be treated like some, like I have some deficit, like I'm somehow not quite right. And many clinicians operate in that mode already. But I think if there was that deep respect, deep respect embedded into the structures, I think we might see overuse being wound back just a little bit. Ray, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much for your time today. And thank you for all of your work in this area. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. If our listeners would like to find out more about you or your work or preventing overdiagnosis and too much medicine, where should they go? Well, unfortunately, they just all they have to do is go to Google. The, I mean, I work at Bond University. I'm a senior research fellow at Bond University in Australia. There's information there. I've got a website with a whole lot of blurb about me. The recommended dose is, is online, uh, hosted by Cochrane Australia. And of course, if any listeners are actually interested in learning any more about overuse, overdiagnosis in particular, um, we will be hosting Preventing Overdiagnosis in Sydney, December 5 to 7, 2019. Uh, that'll be the seventh conference. Uh, they've been getting better and better, these conferences. Uh, the, 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 the one that was just on in Copenhagen uh, was an extraordinary conference. It will be a hard act to follow. But again, I think if people come, they will encounter those values of humility, passion, rigor, trust, and fun. You know, these conferences are a lot of fun. It's a great place to learn more about this problem of too much medicine and overdiagnosis, to share your science, to, to get involved in networks, whether they're research networks or clinical networks. Uh, and of course, citizens and consumers um, will be playing a role as well. So we, uh, we're, 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 you know, we're really hoping that, that there'll, be, there'll be more engagement, if you will, of civil society in this issue. So, yep, see you in Sydney. You've been listening to a BJSM podcast with Dr. Ray Moynihan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a comment and connect through our social media channels. You can also follow all things BJSM via our app, where you can find more podcasts, our latest articles, and other content. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.